The Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by AirStory, the writing platform for professional writers who want to get more done in half the time. Learn more at airstory.co forward slash club. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 68 as we chat with copywriter Ashlyn Carter about what she learned managing crisis communications for brands like Delta and Chick-fil-A, how choosing a niche has affected her business, the process she used to break her own negative behaviors, and how dancing has made her a better copywriter. Welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to get to talk to y'all today. Yeah, we're excited I know, to have I know. you. All right. So Ashlyn, I think a good place to start is with your story, of course, and how you ended up getting into copywriting. Yes. So it turns out if you chronologically file magazines under your bed growing up, you're a shoe in for a journalism major. So I went into college, like no doubt what I wanted to be. I wanted to work in magazines, wanted to do editorial stuff. And so I was a print major in the journalism school in 2009, which <laughs> sure all of us who work in this industry, and that was a tough year for publications. So I promptly went back for my senior year, switched to the public relations track and knew that that's what I wanted to do. Right out of college, I worked as a traveling consultant for a women's organization with the ultimate dream of working in, I grew up in Alabama, so like the big city of Atlanta is where I wanted to be. I wanted to work in agency life in Atlanta. And so, yeah, did that and was in agency for about four years altogether and then worked as a publicist as well for a chef in his slew of restaurants and then um, moved into working on my own. There's a lot of ups and downs and valleys, but that in a nutshell is what happened. So I'm curious about your agency experience, the kinds of clients that you were working on, the kinds of projects that you did there. Was it PR focused? Was it copy focused? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's a great question. So I look back on agency life and I loved it so much. It's like an incubator of sorts and it teaches you so much. You know, I wasn't there all that long altogether, but it was a full service firm. So we did everything in-house from public relations and pitching to more marketing driven campaigns to experiential events for our clients. And also being in Atlanta, our clientele where we worked on, um, I was primarily on the Delta Airlines account, but Chick-fil-A, those kind of brands were Coca-Cola in-house. So those were what we were working on. And I did a lot of customer communication for Delta Airlines. So crisis communication there is really fun because you're planning for things like, what if an airplane crashes? What are we going to do? What's our game plan? (laughs) But also high value customer events, which was really fun planning those. I really enjoyed. But my favorite part, which I didn't even realize that it was, it had a name being copywriting. It didn't even know that to me. It was just writing marketing words, right? But crafting the email communication that we would send out to Sky Miles Medallion members and I'm writing the website for the Delta.com relaunch when we did that a few years ago and other Sky Miles program initiatives. That was primarily my wheelhouse and what I was working on, but I did get my feet wet with some pitching. And so what did you learn from the crisis communication at Delta and the customer communication during that time, working with these big brands like Delta, Chick-fil-A, that you know that you're using today in your own business? Yes. 
So one of the biggest things that I think that agency teaches you, and I know that there's other fields that do this, like law, but tracking your time, I think as you move into an entrepreneurial space, our time is money, you know, and when you have to bill time to the quarter hour, you know, and you do that year after year, I still keep timesheets for myself and my business. I've used Toggle before. There's tools out there, but to me, it's just easiest to write it down and nothing else, but it keeps me accountable and it helps me measure how long client projects take. Uh, So that was one of the biggest lessons. I do think that there's like a post-traumatic period where you have, like, I remember folding laundry at times after working in agency and being like, I bet I can do this in a 0.25, you know, and like, (laughs) that's not helpful for anybody, but it did stick with me. So that was one thing that I learned. I also learned quickly how to voice switch back and forth, which I think is integral as a copywriter uh, with multiple clients. You quickly have to be able to chameleon brands and brand voices. I didn't realize that that was you know, part of my education until I had a student ask me one time, how do you switch? And I was like, I, you know, I've never really thought about that. You just switch. But that is something I think that I didn't realize that I learned. I learned a lot about project management. And I think the biggest takeaway, though, is how to behave as a business owner. I, like I said, I can't speak highly enough for that agency. It's the name of it is Jackson Spaulding. It's a mid-sized communications firm, locations over the U.S., but based out of Atlanta. But the founders there just had an expectation of behaving that I just watched from afar, and it really got ingrained in me. We had our core values on our desk. Everybody did in a little frame, and one of them, I remember, was we tell the truth. And I think that just sunk into me over time, and even now, as a business owner with a team, you know, it's so easy, especially online, to you know just shore up that email with a few extra things. I think, but I constantly remember that, and I can't shake Glenn Jackson from my head and what he stood for. And I do think that. I learned that if you don't cast a crooked shadow, it's a lot easier to operate your business and go to bed at night without any regrets about the way that you're running things. And so there was just a lot I learned from watching him. And those days were hard, though. I do think I got had some tough bosses, right, that edited. It's, you know, like any job where you have an editor, you get it torn apart and it's bleeding and looks like a murder scene, but you learn how to write. (laughs) So I'm curious if if you saw a difference in with working in PR with companies and then working with the celebrity chef, you know, where you're working with the personality. Is there a difference in the kind of things that you do for a personal brand versus a company brand? Or is it basically the same process? That's a great question. So when I switched from being more agency based to being more in-house, yes, because you're rep- especially, I think I learned what it's like to work for a personal brand, right? And just everything that Ford would do, I was constantly watching, how is he going to say, you know, what's he going to say in this interview? Have I prepped him well for this? It kind of takes everything that was going on in a corporate setting and pushes it into just one single focused point. And that was this man who was the brand and all of the restaurants were built around him. So I learned how to market a brand and a personal face. So that was really different for me. I'd never really done anything like that before. It came with its own set of challenges. But yeah, I would say that that's the biggest difference, like going from having the opportunity to have lots of different stories to tell to learning that you've got to get really good at the stories that go with this person and making him pushing him forward as you know the face of the brand and having a good relationship with him because I'll be honest there were times when I had to 
you know, he's, he's not, we know what classic entrepreneur types are like, right. But there would be times when he would say things that I was like, Lord, you can't do that. Like (laughs) you just pump the brakes a little bit. So learning that too, at a younger age, I think a leadership of having to step in and speak up when I saw something that, you know, this was something I studied and I did know about how to communicate with the media, did not know my way around a chef's knife or a mise en place or anything having to do with the kitchen. I had to learn all that, but yeah. So you are now the face of your brand. And as copywriters, many of us are the face of our brand. So what did you learn from working with Ford as a celebrity chef that you know you're using now in your own business? Uh, so much. And I think that that comes when I didn't expect to be, you know, you don't really want, or I didn't. I think there's a lot of, especially copywriters where we're writers, we're wordsmiths, that's our medium. And so things like video and showing our face, we have to kind of adjust to, or at least I did for sure. But I do think I've learned how to, you know, the business was only as healthy as he was. And I think that I've learned that and being the personal face and the brand and the entrepreneur behind it all, like there's a direct correlation with how I'm doing and how my personal health and happiness and just well-being is and the bottom line of the business, you know, like when I take care of myself, when I give myself what I need, then we're going to be in a better place. And so I did kind of learn that from watching this business operate around this crystallized around him and who he was. And so, and I, again, like, I don't think that many of us, especially given our medium as copywriters go into this wanting that, but it is something that's a byproduct, especially in this day and age, I believe. So that's a perfect segue into, you know, hitting a wall in 2015, which you've been very open about hitting a wall, you know, anxiety and going through a really rough time. So can you just speak to that? Like what led up to that? What caused it and and what happened? So I love at the beginning when you were like, tell us your story. I totally left all this out because it, it, (laughs) it opens up a bit of a can of worms, but I'm totally open to talking about it because when I was in the midst of it all, I just kept thinking, if I ever get through this, I'm going to open my mouth about it because I thought I was the only one. So being somebody that probably as listeners can tell now is a little bit type A, like many of us are that work in marketing, I was always just a little bit bent towards perfectionism and just getting it right. You know, you work in agency and you just nail it constantly day in and day out for your clients. And then all throughout this, I had grown up as obviously one of those kids who was more attracted to words growing up. And so I remember sitting in the back of chemistry class, changing my handwriting because I didn't quite understand the mole. And little by little, that led to me growing in love with the art of calligraphy. And so throughout my time working in corporate communications, I would do calligraphy at night for brides. And it was just You know, just something to after typing all day, it just felt good to make something, to create something. And so I'd started taking on clients. So here I am working, you know, a nine to five and then going home and having this other side business and things are going okay. You know, I'm juggling the balls in the air. And then my husband proposed and that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. This one more thing to get right, get perfect and knock it out of the park. And I couldn't do it. And so I started trying to measure the one thing that was within arm's reach, the one thing that I could. And that happened to be a terrible idea, but what went into my body and what I could get out through exercise. And so obviously you could tell where this is going before I knew it had full on developed an eating disorder. And that, you know, like I said, didn't see it coming and I didn't 
also understand the repercussions of what comes with that. I had always struggled just a little bit with anxiety and depression. Again, I didn't think it was anything that anybody else didn't deal with, especially anybody that worked in a high stress environment. Thought we were, everybody was stressed, right? Like everybody was running around like a chicken with their head cut off all the time. So I just thought that was the norm. So this all culminates and develops. And I remember got through our wedding day, literally by the grace of God, because I don't remember all of that day. I was just really sick with panic attacks and stress and social anxiety. And my mother-in-law looked at me pretty soon after and she said, Ashlyn, what is more important to you, your job or your relationship with my son? And everybody kind of is shocked that she said something so bold to me. But to be honest, I needed to hear that. And I also couldn't give her the answer that she wanted, which is when I realized I was pretty sick. And so she helped me put in for medical leave of absence from work, which didn't know that was even a thing. I was terrified I was going to lose my job. And so, you know, this girl who's obsessed with marketing and her job and working all the time and hustle and just I lived and died by that was ripped from me, so to speak. I was put into partial hospitalization, couldn't go to work, didn't have any of that. My marriage was on the brink and it was in its infancy. And so it was this time where I got pulled away from everything. And I really had to sit there and think about, okay, like, what do I want life to be? What's important to me? Yeah, just kind of had had like everything going for me growing up, I guess. Like I didn't grow up in a crazy family or anything like that. So I didn't see, this was just very alarming to me. And very, this is a moment where I just really had to sit there and think about things. And it was during that time that I saw that there was this whole ecosystem of creative entrepreneurs and freelancers who worked for themselves, right? I started looking at that thinking, you know what, maybe one day I can do that. I know how to write. I have this calligraphy thing going. I bet I can figure that out. And so I came home complaining about work after I went back to working for Ford, complaining one one too many days. And Wes, my husband, looked at me. He was like, we're done. We are done with this. I can't listen to you complain anymore about it. And so I left a lot. I think I had this plan to have, you know, loads of clients before I left and went full time. And um that was not the case for me. So I'm happy to speak about because I always think that uh, when we're looking on the horizon about leaving our current jobs and going full time, we think we need to have everything all together. And I'm, I can talk about that because I don't think you need to. But yeah, left. And I, I think I still have to monitor and watch myself because I know my tendencies. And I know that if I get really obsessed or just start working too much. It's not a healthy place for me to be. But like you said, Kira, it's one of those things that I'm so, so happy to talk about because for so long, I, th- I thought it was the norm that people were just really stressed out and you just kind of made it. <laughs> but that's not true. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in this either, Ashlyn. You know, maybe there are writers who don't have the same degree, mm-hmm. you know, of anxiety or mm-hmm. haven't, you know, gotten to the brink, but all of us struggle, you know, sometimes with either perfectionism or too much work or, you know, all those things. So, you know, I'm really curious, you know, you talked about how you had to put a lot of thought into what you really wanted, but were there questions or were there exercises that you were putting yourself through to really get to the answers that helped you figure out the way forward? I love that question. So I happened upon this tool called Power Sheets. And it, I mean, you can do exercises without a tool, but the questions that it brought up, like, who do you want to be when you're 80 years old? And I was looking at the path my life was on, like this workaholic, so to speak, life and just seeing, you know, the person that I want to be one day is not in, in any way correlated to what I'm creating now. And so I, you know, especially after I worked through that and seeing the freedom that I found and 
being able to start a business and do the thing that I know I was called to do, which was help people with words like that. Writing has always come easily. And after I saw that that was a sales mechanism that some people didn't, which we, that's another. So I moved into, moved into full-time and I didn't even offer copywriting at first, but it was something that once I realized being in this space where there was creative entrepreneurial women trying to sell products, primarily in the wedding industry that were not able to make sales and make ends meet in work for their families and bring in an income because that link was missing, right? And so I saw, I was like, that is what I want to do. I want to influence, I want to impact, and I want to help people with the gifts and the tools that just happen to be in my hands. So it was working through some of those power sheets questions. And Laura Casey is the author of those, and she has a great book. But those were the tools that I, and the, the workbook, so to speak, that I used. I did not have this epiphany where I had all of these questions. To answer your question, Rob, I did use some tools. <laughs> No, that's helpful, I think, because again, at some level, a lot of us still suffer from the same kinds of problems, again, to a different degree. But knowing the questions or knowing, you know, the process for sort of thinking ourselves out of that, I think is really helpful. Yes, so true. Yeah, I'm just wondering as you're talking through this, how personally avoid it happening again or getting to the brink again? Because especially, yes, you moved from a stressful agency world into your own business, which could be flexible. But we also know when you're running your own business, it's also really intense too, especially early on when you're just figuring it out. So how do you continue to avoid it, especially because we're, we're all dealing with it? I love it. And who is it on uh, Lori on Shark Tank? I think she's the one that's cited but was saying entrepreneurs, are, we're the only ones crazy enough to leave 40 hours a week working for someone else to work 80 hours a week for ourselves. Like 100%, right? I do think it's like the best psychological experiment you can do on yourself is like starting a business because you learn it is a every day is an act in personal development, right? And learning who you are. So some of the ways that I've learned how to navigate that, and I it's like my side hobby in business is learning about productivity and hacking into things that are so us, right? That we're so created to do. And so I do like studying that. I think, and this is kind of a bad backwards way of getting at your question, but I'm a big believer in the strengths finder test. And I think that by learning what I am really, really good at, like we should know about ourselves, right? But when you take a personality test like that and you see it sitting there in black and white, what you're good at and what you're not so good at, that gave me a whole lot of freedom to look at the things that I'm not that great at and just have some, like I can give those up and that is totally okay. So I think that was the first correlation in freeing me up to seeing how I could quote unquote outsource or just bring on some extra help, which has ended up growing since. But in the very early days, that is one thing I saw as a way to stay healthy. If I just did what I was good at and just got out there every day and showed up in the ways that I was gifted and didn't worry about the other stuff or gave it to someone else, then I was going to be able to stay in a place where I was healthy. Another thing that has helped immensely is a book, and I wish I could pronounce his last name. It's called Rest, and it's by Alex. I think it's it's P-A-N-G is his last name. But he's a researcher at Stanford, and he has written about how rest impacts us as creatives and people in the workforce that tend to be bent towards a more creative vibe. And the book is, oh my gosh, it's totally one of the best that I read this calendar year. But he talks a lot about how different. I think I've had nap shame in the past. Like if I'll be exhausted, do you know what I'm yep. talking about? Like I will be so oh, oh, yeah. exhausted. I, 
I've yes. totally overcome my nap shame recently. I am more than willing <laughs> to take a nap in the middle of the day. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's hilarious. I had to read a book, apparently, Rob, to like get through realizing that that's okay. But the book is, you know, like that. And I have, I've taken a sabbatical this past year. And now, like, once I took our first sabbatical, my husband took one too, arranged his work schedule so he could. And now we're like, hey, every year we need this. This is really important. But I would recommend to anybody listening that kind of, isn't sure how to figure out or maybe needs to sell their brain on it a little more because he is such a researcher and backs everything up with neurological findings. It shows you a lot of different ways to add in and weave in leisure that not only takes the steam off things or you know gives you some release, but at the same time, in turn, makes us so much better at what we do anyway. Yeah, there's so much there that's so interesting, you know, working from your strengths. But I want to jump forward now because you've gotten through that period of, you know, stress and, you know, hitting bottom. And now you've built a pretty incredible business for yourself, shared some of the numbers with us. And, you know, we're like, wow, you're doing awesome. And so tell us about what you're doing today, how you found your niche and the kinds of projects that you're working on. Okay, so... And I appreciate that, Rob. I'm always humbled. And I think that I have to, another thing, like I have to be careful as somebody who measured numbers one way for a while that wasn't a good idea. I do have to watch myself now, but I'm just, I'm having so much fun serving an industry that I didn't see being served. So to talk about kind of how that happened, I think one of the first things that helped me hit the ground running. I had never once considered myself a freelancer. And I think that I look at a lot of writers and they, you know, move into working for themselves and they call themselves freelance writers or freelance copywriters. And at least for me, I needed the mindset that I was, no, no, I was a business owner. I was an entrepreneur. I was a business owner. And that helped me approach things with a little bit more of a vision casting mind instead of so focused on project-based, especially coming from agency. You could take the girl out of an agency, but I still like client work is my security blanket, right? Like it just, it feels good. I know I can do it, but you do have to pivot a little bit. So I think that was one thing that I did. And then another thing that I can't go without saying is I had somebody look at me and what I could do and see something in me, see potential in me and trust me with a big job at a time when I was new in my business. And now I just want to be that for somebody else one day. The story I'm alluding to, I was at a conference for creative entrepreneurs. And one of the women there, her name is Jenna Kutcher, and she has a pretty sizable brand and internet business. And she uh, was a photographer and has since moved into education. But we're sitting there over jalapeno marks where all good things start, right? We're sharing our stories and we really connected. And after that conference, like a month later, she emailed me. She was like, hey, I need somebody to help me with email copy. I saw that you did that for Delta. Would you be interested in making the jump over to this? It's for an online course. This was her first program that she launched. But she saw you know, the talents that I had in one capacity and how they were transcend over. So I say that because when people ask me, you know, what works, what didn't, you know, paying a few thousand dollars to be in front of people at that level before I was ready to change my business. You know, like that was a very expensive conference, but I knew by going there that it would be a small group of people and I could land time with women that I not only looked up to, but would be able to pull things out of me that I could not see for myself. So I'm a big believer in doing that. Yeah, I think that was a big game changer for me as well. That's so important too, I think. And I'm glad that you share that 
just being in the right room, showing up in the yes. room. And, and we always say like feeling like the dumbest person in the room. And, and Rob and I are big fans of that. And, you know, we have joined masterminds to be that person where we're like, whoa, everyone is so far ahead of us. And then you build relationships and they pull you up with them and you rise. So I think that's a great example. I want to back up a little bit what you're saying about starting your business and not viewing yourself as a freelancer and viewing yourself as a business owner is so important. And so I want to dig into that a little bit more because I'm wondering what copywriters who maybe are viewing themselves as freelancers now, what shifts they can make beyond just the mindset, like what they can actually do to make that change that may even impact their mindset and help them view themselves as business owners instead. I love it. And I know that you're both team niche, so I can lean into talking about that, (laughs) at least for me, my experience. And I know that there are some generalists out there who rock it. But for me, what I found was that when I fully allowed myself to go into one service sector of copywriting, things blew up. I think it sounds so easy for me to say now that was terrifying. And I went in kicking and screaming. So, you know, I'm doing copywriting and I also was doing calligraphy and doing all the writings, right? Like you name it, you like editorial stories, you got it. Blog posts, here I am. Like I was doing everything. And I had two people, two coaches specifically, one friend and one coach look at me and say, Ashlyn, like just lean into the copy thing. And in that, just lean into it for women, female creative entrepreneurs. And then maybe just like focus on the launch thing for a while. You seem to really enjoy the strategy of that. What happens if you call yourself a launch copywriter? And I remember sitting over breakfast with my friend, Christina, and telling her that is a terrible idea. Like what happens when the industry shifts or pivots? And I have built (laughs) this brand off this. So, you know, little by little though, over time, I was like, you know what? That's the beauty of what we do, right? As entrepreneurs, I was like, let's try it. Let's, Let's go for it. And that is when like, when I stuck a stake in the ground and said, these are the people I work with. And I had to break up with a lot of clients that I was on retainer with. But when I really became the go to girl of a certain niche. I like it. I think you're in the right direction when you name people to others and they don't know who you're talking about. And let me explain what I'm saying. I feel like I was just at an event this past weekend for entrepreneurs. And I kind of like that sometimes I mention my clients and they are huge for the people that they serve. Like they're big brands for them. But when I mention them to some other people, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> they have no idea. Like who? Yeah. And I, I kind of <laughs> think that's like, I'm okay with that. You know, like I'm okay being really tiny and small, like just being laser focused for that group of people. So that is one thing that I would say helped me transit, you know, like instead of being a freelancer, like jack of all trades, give me the job, I'm going to get it done. Just being like playing the long game, playing five years, 10 years down the road, that was something that changed. And then I think another thing that I didn't see coming, but a lesson I learned along the way was the beauty and the client process. I work in an industry that lends itself to very high-end, luxurious experience type of product or service. Like think of, I mean, these people are serving bright. I mean, they shower them with gifts, right? They just, the level of care and high touch that they give to their clients is out of this world. And so coming from agency, I'm like, what? Like we just send the deliverables to the client. There's nothing (laughs) like what's this, but little by little looking at this and thinking, okay, if I want to charge BMW prices, like I've got to give that BMW level service that they are doing. So starting to see how I could adopt pieces of my niche into my own process and make them more comfortable was fun. Like 
how looking at how do they do sales and how do they get someone through their quote unquote sales funnel that they don't call that, but how do they do that? And then once they have brought someone under their brand as a client, how do they serve them? What are they doing along the way? Client gifts are big in the wedding industry. So how am I doing that? How am I offboarding them in ways that they're comfortable with? The more I stepped into being a business owner, the more that those things were very different from how I had done things as a freelancer. And I know there are a lot of ways to measure your business. And we touched on the fact that money isn't everything. It's maybe not even the most important number. But choosing a niche has had a very significant financial impact on your business as well. Do you mind sharing, maybe not necessarily the, the actual numbers, but the effect that it's had? My first year, I did not take home what I made in corporate. The end of the first year was when I started to make that pivot it went to a multiple six-figure business the next year. Like it totally changed it. And then, like you, I like how you said, Rob. Like, yes, that's why I like. Sometimes James Wedmore talks about. I know he's spoken about this with the three of us, but he also said at the conference I was at this weekend, like, no, it's not important, but it sure is a dang good measure and benchmark for you. But even seeing influence be measured, I guess, when I really buckled down and wanted to serve one niche, the stories just pop off the page now. You know, they say do what you do what you know, right? Write, write what you know, do what you love. And when I started serving people who, let's be honest, are not too far off from me, then the anecdotal evidence of their stories means more to me. And I can measure my influence when I'm able to read stories of some of our clients who are able to pay for, you know, in vitro, whatever, because they can't get, you know, I'm like, you're not that far removed from me. The stories just mean more maybe than these random clients that I have. It meant a little more because it hit closer to home when I started niching down. So I'm wondering, you know, while we're talking about money and growth, um, how you get paid as far as like the way that your business is broken down. Cause I know you, you know, you still have those two businesses, calligraphy and then copy. And then within there you have different programs and courses. So you, again, you don't have to share the numbers for each piece of it, but like what are the different parts of your business today? Sure. So I think, and I'm, always comfortable saying this, especially with copywriters, the calligraphy, at least in 2017, was only 12% of the business income. So it's really not a big part, but I do it for a couple of reasons. One, like I said, it kind of gets my feet wet still on what is it like to be B2C because a lot of my students and clients are B2C. So what is it like to market to those brides in a really saturated industry? And the other reason that I won't let it go out the door and fall to the wayside completely is just because I know myself and I know how I work and I know that I need the artistry and the kind of stress reliever. But it is just about 12%. And then the breakdown of the rest of it, we took on a lot of one-on-one clients this past year. And I say we because this past year in March, I brought on two associate copywriters and just trained them up in my system and the workflow that I was serving clients with. And they've done an unbelievable job. And so I was able to really focus on launch copywriting. So that is a part of the income as well. But then one thing that, and I think there's always that question about digital products. Like when should I create a digital product? When am I ready? And again, I could just speak from experience, but what I saw was that once the amount of inquiries becomes more than you're able to take on, and you're not able to, you know, seeing these people who are totally deserving of the process, but they were not at a place where they could afford it. And at the same time, I knew that if I just put the tools in their hands, they would be able to get far more out of it. So by 
starting to launch a digital product and teach my copywriting process of writing a website, I inadvertently launched a course. And the first time I did it was August 2016. Wasn't expecting really anything big. And I think that starting 2017, I remember looking out on the cusp of the year, like just looking out and thinking, okay, I have been marketing and creating revenue streams for so many people, but I'm not doing it for myself. So 2017 has been just a banner game changer year because I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to have to show up regularly. I'm going to have to email my email list. Like what, what is that? (laughs) I have to blog (laughs) regularly. Yeah. Like create freebies, like do all of these things that I'm doing for everybody else, but start doing them for me. And so all of those things just really lifted the business financially and have enabled us to, like I said, bring on a team, but you know, next year, one of them is going to be able to come on full time. And that is, I'm so excited. It's so fun when you start getting to a place where you're able to play big and watch people walk into their own callings and giftings and what they're good at. And like we were talking about earlier, just like, if I can just stay in my strength zone, then we're able to do stuff like that. I'm really curious to ask about your team and working with your team. You're basically creating a micro agency and we've Mm -hmm. recently had guests that did that and sort of had this nightmare scenario and ended up closing everything down in, you know, three years because they found that they weren't focused on the things that they love. So tell us a little bit about how you're building your team and how you're doing it so that you're focusing on the things that you like to do and you're not necessarily just taking on all the administrative tasks so somebody else can do the fun stuff. Got it. And I have to say, Rob, like just being under your technology, both of you, like it was that talk that we had where I think I did realize like, hold the phone. I don't think I want to grow this thing into like a mini, a huge mini agency. Right. So I think that they're you know, grow slow, grow intentionally. But I do think that it's hard. And I, I am happy to say did not do everything well when I was growing a team. I guess it was just me, but I always heard like, hire before you're ready, blah, blah, blah. blah. But like, how on, I just, I could not figure out, like it was at the time when I'm drowning, reaching out for help. Like I just, you know, come on in, hit the ground and go. Like that was my experience with growing a team. Like there wasn't a whole lot of time to, take five weeks away and ramp up everybody really slowly and intentionally. But I do think that I was always writing down the pro like every, you know, even our copywriting clients as varied as they are, there's still a process, right? They're onboarded, they get this email, all the emails are templated out all the way through the process, wash, rinse, repeat, do it again. So I had that system really well honed before I brought anybody on. And so I would tell anybody who's looking at potentially, you know, having someone under you help service your brand. If you're looking to have them potentially take on something soup to nuts one day, turn it into, I think, Sometimes we think copywriting is different. You know, it's, it can't be turned into a system, but I really think it can. There's two products, quote unquote, that we offer. One is brand story, which is essentially website copywriting coupled with a brand excavation first. I just realized that we really needed that brand excavation to write a good website. And then the other is a launch copywriting package. And that one is a lot more varied with what goes into it because, you know, some people are doing PLF style. Some people are doing webinar launches, but all that to say, there was still a process both ways. So creating that before I brought anybody on was a big help. And then I am a big fan of Todd Herman in the 90 day year. 
But all that to say, I'm about to say the three questions that I ask my team every day. And I just don't want anybody to think that I made these up because they're really brilliant. And I did not. But asking, checking in with your team, asking what they did yesterday, what they're doing today, and then what's holding them up. Where, what, what do they need to make that happen? As a leader, realizing if I can just let them go and do their thing, but give them what they need, that has been a really big help in letting them go and do their thing and know that I trust them 100%. But I want to make sure that, you know, because it is my brand, my eyes are on everything at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. I want to take Todd Herman's jump into his program. I feel like I'm ready for it. It's good. You mentioned your breakout year in 2017. And you mentioned, you know, emailing your list regularly, creating lead magnets, doing all the things that we tell our clients to do, but doing it in your own business. What else does it take to create this big year? Is there something else that you could share with us, especially for anyone who's listening is like 2018, and it's going to be the year I just I go big. Yes, I think it's Simple things too. The one of the biggest game changers this year was batching my days and my time. We've talked a little bit about time and productivity, but it helped me so much to be able to compartmentalize days. Like if we're talking about looking at your business as more of a, a business owner and uh, playing for the long game instead of just being a jack of all trades freelancer, I had to start looking at every day had to serve a purpose. So, and I I can share what they are. I do marketing Mondays. I do client work Tuesdays, product development Wednesdays, meetings on Thursdays, and then finance Fridays, also systems on Fridays, but the alliteration of finance Fridays is just too good. (laughs) So, but that really helped me start looking at, you know, like when an opportunity would come in, like, you know, or my bookkeeper needed something great that goes on Fridays list to deal with, you know, so I can stay like context switching is such a real thing, but I'm able to stay honed in and focused on Mondays on creating that lead magnet, writing that email, writing the blog post, scheduling out any social media posts that are going to go out. I can just focus on one thing at a time. And I think that no, it's not a perfect system, especially with client work in a a launch sphere of all things, right? Like there's going to be days besides Tuesday that I'm going to have to work on. There's going to be Saturday nights where I'm going to have to work on stuff, right? But that was able to give me a framework within to think. And that was a big game changer in helping me play big because I got to, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't just show up at work every day. Like, okay, what clients need to be serviced today? It was like, if it's not Tuesday, you know, we respond to their emails, but the bulk of the work waits. And I also, I do want to say I'm very upfront with my clients and telling them that and have a whole onboarding magazine for anybody that comes on. And I explain, you know, for anybody that's like, are clients going to be okay with that? My experience has been that they are as long as I am very, very upfront. I've even blogged about it and stuff. So for anybody that is looking to ever work with me, hopefully I put enough out there that it's not a shock that they're going to have a day where I work on them for about 12 hours. But yeah. Okay, so I just want to jump in and ask, what does that look like, the onboarding magazine? And then what are you saying to them to prepare them for the, hey, I only work Tuesdays and I want to make sure you're cool with this. How do you say that? Yes. So earlier when I was talking about looking at things that the wedding industry was doing, this is a prime example, this whole idea of an onboarding, like beautiful magazine, right? So, I mean, and I say magazine is a PDF. 
that we send them upon onboarding along with, we send them it digitally and then they get a client gift in the mail at the same time. But the magazine does include how their process is going to work, the steps of it, just so I'm really upfront with that. And then I frame it in kind of the copy and the, the language that I use is like every good relationship is built on solid communication. So here's how we're going to be able to communicate. I say my office hours, I say how they can get in touch with me, how they can schedule meetings. Your big day is going to be on Tuesdays. Each package that I do is a four week package and it's going to be on Tuesdays. And that like, those are your days. I only take on for me one one-on-one client a month. My associates have theirs, but those are your days. You can contact me anytime that day. I will be writing for you. But otherwise during the week, like you, and that's why I need your rounds of edits to come in at a certain point. So I'm just really upfront through that. And I explain how they can give me edits. And I also kind of give them a little tour around the CRM system that we use. I use a tool called HoneyBook, but I give them like a video tour of that. I want to make sure that they feel really comfortable working in that as well. The thing I love about this is that you're taking control. You assume that you're the one in charge, whereas so many copywriters feel like the client runs the meetings or is in charge. And you know, again, we've yes. talked about this in the past, but like just thinking through this, you know, it takes some guts to play at that level. I love that, Rob. It is you're you're just assuming a leadership position. They're looking at you to be the leader. I think once that clicked in my head, I was like, they're not the leader in this. Like I am. I need to step up to the plate and do this thing right. Yeah. So where does your business go from here? You know, you've been doing as any good type A writer would do. You're planning for the next year. You know, you want to accomplish some things. You know, what are you going to be doing in the next 12 months to change your business? Yeah, I really want to start showing up for the tribe and the audience I already have gathered. I think that sometimes that's hard. I think my husband sometimes was looking at how fast we grew, which I want to say that because we so often look at you know, the struggle of getting clients and that those involve the tears, tear filled nights and crying in your pillow. But like growing fast is just as hard. It sounds like I always think of that in Mean Girls when one of them is looking at her cuticles or they're like all bringing it, you know, she's like, man, cuticles suck. And you're like, okay, sweetheart, like that must be bad. But I think it brings with it its own set of problems. And so when my husband was looking at that, you know, and asking me questions, I think it hit me. It's been hard it's been a year of a lot of growth because I'm a marketer. I've always known how to market and that's been my focus. So it's the other stuff that I've had to learn from the ground up because I had no experience in customer service or being a CEO. You know, that was the stuff that was completely foreign and like painful to learn the hard way. So I do think that this is a year where I want to recognize that and really focus on showing up for the students and the audience that I already have gathered. I have loved being able to serve people who aren't able for that one-on-one package level price point with tools to help them. So this was the first year I launched a template, a copywriting template shop, which has, I really just wanted to create an entry point for people who couldn't afford my course or couldn't afford the one-on-one. And that has been so fun to see people be able to use. So I want to focus on that and then continue to say no to good to make room for great, which like, I think that is continually learning how to look at those opportunities that you really want, but realize what is at stake? What's the payoff and weigh them out? That's something I want to get better and better at with each passing year. So we often ask what opportunities you see for copywriters in 2018, especially, you know, you're in the trenches working with clients and building this business. What do you see for us or what are we missing? Okay. So y'all heard me ask James Wedmore this 
I believe, but I also asked it at Amy Porterfield's event and it is some, or no, I asked it in a different setting, but you two have heard me kind of freak out a little bit about the launch industry. And as so many of us as copywriters, like we are the strategy and the brains behind a lot of a launch funnel. And so that is one thing that I have freaked out about in the past. Like what's going to happen when this you know, when we're wise to the webinar pitch and when things start shifting and undulating. And I think I've had the past week a gear shift in how I think about that. And I'm starting to look at it as maybe this is our chance as copywriters to do it differently. Like we have mastered the principles. We know how to sell. We know the psychological techniques that go into different things. We know it, right? So like this is our chance to step in and be leaders and do it differently because we don't have that learning curve of having to learn how to sell, right? We already know how to do that. So I think that's the biggest opportunity I see as us. I think we get to step into a leadership position and we call ourselves creative entrepreneurs, but I think a lot of times we recycle things, maybe inadvertently, but I think we get to step into a place of ownership with that and really get to be creative with the things that we know really, really well. And I I have to ask you, because I was stalking you like crazy before this conversation (laughs) about your background in dance. You grew up as a dancer. How has that influenced the way that you run your business today? Love that. So a couple of things. I think there's an Anne Lamont quote about like, just get your butt in the chair every day when it comes to writing. And Chuck Close has some similar quote where he talks about you just, you don't look for inspiration, you just show up. And I think that every, you know, year after year, you just go to the ballet bar and you do technique class, you do warm ups, and then you move on to rehearsal and creating and improv class and all that kind of stuff. But every day you do the exercises day in, day out, you just, you put in that time. And I know that there's, it's the Berlin study that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers, but the four hours a day principle, you know, like if you practice, you're going to move from apprentice to expert. If you practice something for like four hours a day, so it adds up to 10,000 hours over a decade or whatever, putting in that little effort, even just as a copywriter, like I think I learned with ballet, I didn't necessarily have the overly arched feet and the hyper extended legs, but I was going to study like crazy and I was going to have stage presence and I was going to sell myself in other ways. So I think now looking at how that relates to being a copywriter, I'm going to study it like crazy. I'm going to read the greats. I'm going to figure this thing out and I'm going to show up and just do the work. I'm just going to go to ballet class every day, you know, and over time that's going to lend itself to opportunities to be creative. I love that advice. It's inspirational knowing, you know, what you've done with your business in the past and how quickly you've grown and the kind of business that you're running and yet still taking the time to step back and say, there's still practice here to be done. There's still things to learn. There's still ways to grow differently. Again, I feel like you should be doing the podcast here, Ashlyn, and I'm learning from you. You know, it's, it's one of those oh really good advice. <laughs> I, I... Yeah. No, I remember the first time I talked to y'all was so, and I just I appreciate so much that there was not a forum for people like us until you two stepped out and created it. And I'm just really thankful for that. Things felt very alone until the copywriter club club popped up. So <laughs> we're thrilled that you're part of that. So if people want to connect with you, you know, learn more about what you're doing, or just reach out and get to know you better, where should they go online to find you? Yes, you can find me at ashlynwrites.com. And I'm also on the social medias at Ashlyn S. Carter. Awesome. Thanks, Ashlyn. This has been fantastic advice and information. Thank you, Ashlyn. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. 
You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Oh,